Please be seated. If you're about my age or older and you grew up, at least in the Church of Christ, that song was familiar to you. I remember singing it a lot when I was a kid and growing up. I don't remember singing it so much lately. I appreciate Ronald doing that. I didn't ask him to, but he uh, looked at my notes, I guess, and and saw and knew that it would uh, uh, fit in appropriately, as did the song he led, Thy Word is a Lamp Unto My Feet. Because this morning we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the good book. We're going to talk about the sacred scriptures and the sword of God. We're going to talk about God's word. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Psalm 119. That is where we will be at in here in just a minute. You know, the Bible itself is a miracle from God. The Bible was written over a period of at least 2,000 years. And was written by at least 40 different authors. And the fact that the Bible fits in together in its theme and in its focus shows about the remarkable miracle of God in preserving his word. You can't get 40 people to agree on anything. And yet these 40 people spread over 2,000 years have a exact theme and focus throughout what we call the Bible. The fact that you have a Bible available to you today is in and of itself a miracle. The fact that not only was the Bible inspired by God, but then it was transmitted down through man for all these thousands of years. It was not an easy thing. Back in the early days of Christianity or a little little later on, the idea of translating the Bible into a particular language other than Latin was unheard of. And in fact, when people began to want to translate the Bible into their local language, whether it be German or whether it be English or whether it be French or whatever the case may be, people lost their lives because of that. And I am not talking about persecution of the Bible from outside religions like we see today. These were not Islamic extremists, extremists who were so opposed to the Bible that they killed anybody translating the Bible. This is within Christianity itself. This is within the church itself. That the idea that the Bible should be translated into a modern language, into a language that people spoke, was unheard of because only the clergy should be able to read the Bible. You people are too dumb to understand the Bible. You people aren't smart enough to understand the Bible. You people don't have the right wisdom to understand the Bible. So you need to throw all your Bibles away and you need to leave it to me. And I'll tell you what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the scriptures say. And so when people wanted to translate into English these other languages, the church persecuted them. The church persecuted. Killed 
them. The church dug up their bones and burned them again. To identify them as heretics. And then the idea of the printing press. Wow. Where people could have, literally, if they had enough money, they could have a Bible of their own. When the printing press first came out and and Bibles were beginning to get produced, there was a problem within the churches. Thievery. Each little local congregation generally only had enough money for one Bible. And it would sit there on the pulpit. It'd be one of those great big Bibles. And it would sit there on the pulpit and it would get stolen. And they'd get another one and put it on the, and it would get stolen. Because the people wanted one for themselves. In the junior high class this morning, we were studying in Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the fact that the Ethiopian had a copy of Isaiah. That was so rare. He had to have been wealthy, rich, to just have a copy, a part of one book of the Bible. And we take it for granted. We've got copies and copies and copies of the Bible. Now, you people, not me, you people have the Bible on your phones and your tablets. You don't even have paper and ink. I don't understand what's wrong with you people. Paper and ink. But we can get the Bible anywhere we want it. And I think we take it for granted. And we don't really appreciate what we have. But the Bible is inspired. In 2 Timothy it says the Bible is God breathed. Yet today in our world it is labeled as archaic. Outdated. Narrow minded. Prejudicial. Psalm 119, it's in its entirety, is about God's word. Psalm 119 is the longest, not just the longest psalm in the Bible, it is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. And it deals exclusively, virtually, with God's word and our reaction to it. It is written as a Hebrew acrostic. What? Well, if you have a, a, uh, an addition like mine, it will say Psalm 119, and then right under that, it will have the word Aleph, or something like that. Everybody's kind of looked like that. If you get one of the pew Bibles, it'll kind of look like that. And then, you know, that goes through verses 1 through 8. And then between 8 and 9, you have the word Beth. And then that goes through 9 through 16. And then after 16, you have the word Gimel. Those are the Hebrew, that is the Hebrew alphabet. That would be like us putting Alpha, Beta, Charlie, Delta, I don't know, anyway, you know, those those types of, yeah. And what that is, each first line of every eight verses begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Are you with me? So in Hebrew, the first word of verse one is, begins with Aleph. 
In verse 9 in Hebrew, the first word begins with the letter Beth. In verse 17, the first word of the first line begins with Gimel. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the rest of it, but you get the point. Okay? It's a poet. It's a poem. It's an acrostic. And it would mean more if any of us actually knew Hebrew, but we don't. But it's interesting. Of course, the author, when speaking of the law and God's word, is speaking of the old law. The law of Moses given to the Israelites as they escaped Egypt, but the words are relevant to us today concerning all of God's word. Within this chapter, there are at least nine words to describe the scriptures. There is the word law. There is the word testimony. There is the word precept and promise, just like the song we just sang. You remember that? Statute, commandment, judgment, not in the sense of overall judgment, but judgment of right and wrong, kind of. Word, promise, and way. All those words are used as metaphors to talk about God's words. They're synonyms to talk about God's word. I don't, I did not check this out. So I'll rely on the person whom I read, who I assume checked it out. Every verse, every verse, but five in the what? 176 verses. Every verse, but five has a direct, uh, Hang on, there's a word here. I have a word. Reference, thank you. (laughs) Has a direct reference to the word, word of God. All but five of all those verses. This psalm has a theme and it centers around our response to God's word. Okay, here's the Bible. Here's God's word. How do you feel about it? What is your response to God's word? Do you have one? Do you care? Does it mean anything to you? And so that is what our writer is exploring. We will spend at least two weeks in this psalm. Now, I went through myself with pen and paper and paper and ink. And I went through and found at least 30 different responses. That we should have towards God's word. Okay? You ready? We ought to obey God's word. We ought to learn from God's word. We ought to live according to God's word. We ought to consider God's word. We ought to hide God's word in our heart. We ought to recount God's word. We ought to meditate on God's word. We ought to delight in God's word. We ought to keep God's word. We need to understand God's word. We need to set our hearts toward God's word. We need to choose God's word. We need to long for God's word. We need to hold fast God's word. We need to run in the path of God's word. We need to trust God's word. We need to put our hope in God's word. We need to seek out God's word. We need to speak of God's word.
We need to not turn from God's word. We need to not forget God's word. We need to believe God's word. We need to ponder God's word. We need to love God's word. We need to follow God's word. We need to have regard for God's word. We need to stand in awe of God's word. And we need to sustain God's word. Now that just amazed me when I went through there. And there may be more because I could easily miss some. All those responses or reactions that we ought to have towards God's word. Toward the Bible. And so this morning what I wanted to do, I wanted to look at the top three. Okay? The top three. Not only did I go, not only did I go through and list them, I went through and marked each time one of those was used. So I know which was used the most. Anybody want to guess? Of all those things I just read. What is the number one response used in Psalm 119? Yeah, I'm hearing something, but not I'm old and deaf. Oh. Okay, Boyd, you let him cheat. (laughs) Obey. Yes. Obey. Obey is mentioned 19 times. If you add in the seven times for keep, which kind of means obey, and the two times for follow, which kind of means obey, that's 28. 28 times in this one chapter of the Bible, it talks about obeying God's word. Our primary and first response to God's word is to obey. Not obeying God's word is what brought man down in the very beginning. Adam and Eve did not have the Bible. Adam and Eve did not have the law of Moses that was given on Mount Sinai. Adam and Eve essentially had one command and one only. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One And they didn't obey. And it brought catastrophe for man. Isolated man from God. And even isolated man specifically from the garden. Not obeying is what made a whole generation of Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Until they all died. Because God said, take the land. And they said, nope. Can't do it. Not obeying is what caused Moses after dealing with those people for 40 years to not be able to enter into the promised land because God said, speak to the rock and Moses struck the rock. Not obeying is why Saul, King Saul had the kingdom ripped from his hands and given to another 
in the lineage because he disobeyed God. Not obeying is what destroyed both Israel and Judah because they would not obey God. Jesus talked about obeying. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember, Jesus said as he's summing things up, whoever hears these words of mine, and NIV says, and puts them into practice, is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains come and the winds blow and beat against the house and it stands firm. But he who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. In other words, doesn't obey them. Is like the man who builds his house upon the sand. And the rains come and the winds beat upon the, on the house. And it comes down with a loud crash. It's not enough to hear the word of God. We must obey the word of God. In John chapter 15, verse 13, a verse that we all love. It's one of the famous verses in the Bible. It says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But let's not forget verse 14. And you are my friends if you keep my commandments. If you obey my commandments, you are my friends. God's word is to be the rule for our lives, not society's standards, not civil law even, not even our own conscience or feelings. We want to know what is right. We go to God's word. We don't turn the TV on or the radio. Or whatever. God's word is the standard. And we must obey his word. We are not going to be able to get by. Thinking that we can pick and choose. It is not a smorgasbord. It is not a buffet. We do not get to go in and decide. Which commandments we want to keep. And which commandments we don't want to keep. Which commandments apply to me. Which commandments apply to you. We don't get to do that. God has already done that for us. God's word is how we live and govern our lives. And it's not pick and choose. It's not optional. And it's not predicated on situations. God's word is to be obeyed. And when we don't obey. Disaster awaits us. I like in the New Testament how many times the writers say, do not be deceived or do not deceive yourself. You see, they were dealing with some people who didn't really think God's commandments applied to them. Thought they could continue to live the way they used to live. And God comes along and says, don't be deceived. These people who continue to act in this way, these people who continue to practice in this way, these people who do not obey me will not see the kingdom of God. So we must obey God's word. Secondly, we need to take delight 
in God's word. Believe it or not, delight is the next most used expression in Psalm 119. And if you also include rejoice and love, it's 20 times in these verses. You can see a little deeper relationship, can you not, than obeying? It is one thing to simply obey God's word because God said do it. We also talked about this in the junior high class this morning. What is an acceptable motive? Is fear an acceptable motive? You've heard me talk about this before. Absolutely. Fear is an acceptable first motive, I think. Whether it's to become a Christian, I told them I grew up in a generation like many of you did that scared us to death. We would have the preachers who would get up here and they would preach and you could see the smoke and you could smell the burning sulfur and you could see fire, you know, coming and whoo, I want no part of that. So I want to become a Christian. Is that okay? As an initial motive, I think so. In the junior high class, we were talking about that in light of Acts chapter 2, when Peter said to those people, you killed the Son of God. And they said, what do we do? You think they were scared? Think there was some fear? Yeah. Now, sometimes we better just obey God because we're afraid not to. There may be times when I don't understand God's law. I don't understand this commandment. I don't understand why he doesn't want me to do this. It seems okay to me. But God said no, so I'm not going to do it. But then hopefully with maturity, coming into a deeper relationship with God, we move out of that motive to the point that we delight In God's law. To the point that we love God's word. The author expresses a true delight or joy or love for God's word. Do we see God's word as simple commandments that prohibit us from doing things that are pleasurable in our minds? Or beneficial in our minds? Or can we truly see the wisdom and care of God in his word? Do we understand that God's way, his commandments and precepts are coming from the creator of the world who only has our best interests at heart? Again, sorry, junior high kids. We talked about this too. And I've mentioned this before. If the only room my children were little, If the only reason they didn't do what I told them not to do, if the only reason they obeyed me was because they feared me, I'm good with that. If the only reason they didn't run out into the street is because they were afraid of what daddy would do, I'm good with that. If the only reason they didn't stick the fork in the electric socket because daddy was going to smack their hand. I'm good with that. The only reason my grandchildren 
Don't walk out our back door and go play around the pool while nobody's there. It's because Pops is going to get mad at him. I'm good with that. But hopefully, as they grow older, they understand that the rules were there because I loved them. The rules were there because I knew what was best for them. Is it any different with God? Does God just make arbitrary rules just to keep us down? Keep us from having fun? No. He created us. He above anybody or anything else knows what is best for us. And that's why he gives us the commandments and he gives us the law and he gives us those precepts so that we will have the best life here possible. And it's in the scriptures also that we see the unveiling of the plan to redeem man back to himself through the sacrifice of his son. Our obedience should not be with a snarl, but with a sense of delight in God's wisdom and protection. How many times in your life as a Christian have you had to say to somebody, well, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. I can't do that because God said no. I wish I could do that. God said I can't do that. Hopefully we grow beyond that to where we're like, "Mm -mm, I'm not going to do that because God said not to. And he knows what's best for me. He's looking out for me. And so that's why I'm not going to do it. Thirdly, the next most used word is the word meditate on. Now, if you put that with consider or ponder Or learn, that comes to 14 times in these verses. I think this is perhaps the most important aspect of our relationship with God's word. Because it is only from meditating or learning from God's word that we know how to obey and truly delight in God's word. The more we read, the more we understand. The more we meditate, the more we can appreciate. The more we study, the more we become comfortable in using God's word in our lives to make right decision and good choices. He mentioned in there also about recounting God's word, sharing God's word. We can't share what we do not know. And I've told, you know, Uh, You know, a bazillion times I've told you. It is not enough to know that this is God's word. That is not enough. You have to know how to use God's word. I've used this as an example before. Sorry about that. You know, it's what you get for having somebody who's been here 32 years. But when I was an EMT... Worked on the ambulance back when it was volunteer. Remember that? And I had my big paramedic book about this thick. You know, 
It's what we went through. You know, it's what I did my classes on and then took my tests on and, and all of that. That book had everything in it I needed to work on the ambulance. But now how comfortable are you going to feel if you're having a heart attack? You call the ambulance and I show up and I say, dude, or do that. I think you're having a heart attack. I think I studied that once. I think there's something in my book about what to do about heart attacks. Can you hold on just a minute? I need to go out to the ambulance and get my book and look it up. Is that going to make you feel really confident? Uh. You want me to know that book inside and out. You want me to know that book so well that as soon as I see a heart attack, I know exactly what to do and when to do it. And yet we will leave our lives, we will leave our souls unprotected. We will say, yeah, I know the Bible is God's word, but we don't study it. We don't meditate on it. We don't learn from it. And so when things come up in our lives, we're just kind of stumped. Well, I bet there's something in the Bible about that. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is, but I bet it's in there somewhere. And we leave ourselves exposed to Satan. We have got to know God's word. Meditate on God's word. Apply God's word to your life. I cannot, standing up here once a week, create a sermon that is going to apply to every single person's life out here. I can be very general. I can be very genetic. But I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what issues you're facing. I don't know what things are happening to you. You have got to be able to take what is said and then apply it to your life. And that's how we mature. That's how we grow. That comes through meditation. That comes through study. More than just a couple hours a week as we get together. More than just listening to the sermon from the preacher. It involves our personal study. Our personal meditation. Because meditation means applying what we have used to our personal life. The more we read, the more we understand. The more we are comfortable in using God's word in our lives to make right decisions and good choices. So our writer tells us in this psalm. First of all, don't be mistaken. You better obey God's word. But after we've come to understand we need to obey it, we really ought to be able to appreciate it, to delight in it, to love God's word. And then we ought to be meditating on it, studying it, learning it, and then, of course, putting it into practice in our lives. Aren't you glad That God has given us his word. I hated. Surprise tests. Pop tests. Remember those? 
Especially if they didn't tell you you were supposed to study for it. I like those teachers who would hand out a study guide, right? Before the test. And some of them were really cool, right? The study guide was the test. If you went home and worked out the study guide, the next day you'd come back and the test was virtually, he had given it to you. Well, there's a test coming. There's a test coming. It's not a pop quiz. It's not a surprise. And God has given us the study guide. He's given us the test. There's not going to be any shock, any surprise. It's right here. He says, this is what I want from you. But we need to study and put it in our lives. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.